Welcome to Under the Magnifier, where some legally blind people discuss our favorite books, TV shows, and movies. This is episode 5, and Dark Odin is going to be talking about Andor episode 4. There will be spoilers for Andor the TV series and Rogue One. We will be discussing the Easter eggs in the show that link to other movies, and movie references to some of the Legends books. I'm going to issue a quick correction right here. When we mentioned the Imperial Lieutenant, who is actually in league with the Rebels, we call him Lieutenant Blavin, but we were mistaken. It was actually Lieutenant Gorn. We caught this a while after the recording was finished, so I'm just going to shove this in here. So just know when you get to the part of this recording where we reveal that Lieutenant Blavin is a traitor, we were mistaken. It is Lieutenant Gorn. They mentioned his name very quickly, so we made a mistake confusing the actors. I thought Dark Odin. How's it going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Usually I do that little. That's the description. And I figure since Legally Blind, the description, I just read it out as like the tag for the beginning. Yeah. And I usually do it separately, but it's such a pain in the ass to stitch those together that I'm just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, get right into this. This is going to be episode four, Old Honey. And we got a couple of cast members that are returning from the uh, the old one, but then we got a bunch of new ones. Three new main Imperials, three new pretty much the higher up good guys, and then we got the heist team. Ooh, we have a heist episode. First up among the uh, the new cast members in episode four is Deidre Miro. She's an ISB agent, a newer one. She comes from more of like their police force, but she's, I guess, been promoted into this. And it uh, it causes some troubles. I do have a question. You said uh, police force, ISB. I thought the guys from the last one were more of were like a policing force. They're just multiple policing forces. Well, no, these guys aren't the police, like policing force, the ISB. ISB is like more of a, almost like the FBI. Like they're they're much much higher up the ladder, but she comes from I don't know where she comes from. They don't say what police force, but she gets into a tussle with Lieutenant Bleven. He gets into a little bit of a tussle with her over information, whether or not they share it and stuff. And Major Partigas, Partigas, I am probably butchering his name. They got so many A's in these Partigas is what I'm gonna go with. I'm probably wrong, but it's as close as I can get it. Y'all give us a little leeway. Star Wars names are very hard to pronounce. But obviously, he's a major, so he is the higher rank there, and he is in briefings with them. Pretty brief briefings. Like, he comes into the room, give me the information and they have to give it to him real quick and uh, it causes a little trouble between the two left and right and she is told to stay in her place we will get to that now our next three are i guess you could say almost like good guy leaders we got which group is this this is pretty much like uh rebel leaders Okay. That they can pretty much be called, except for maybe, not, I'm not sure how involved he was, because he's the husband of Maul Mothma, which, big spoiler right here, you know, I didn't know that he was, I thought he was, like, an attendant or a butler or something, because when you first see him in the scene, he's putting the table together, and he's talking about scheduling and stuff with her, and it almost seems proper, and I'm like, oh, she's just talking to her. and then they have little jokes, and then she gets mad, and leaves and says she's not going to give him a present that she was going to give him and he's just like oh why does everything have to be boring and sad all the time <laughs> and i just thought mm, maybe they're just close butler and like they and, grew uh, up together kind of thing lawyer, but i guess not they are actually on on what i found when i looked it up that is her husband and his name is heron uh fartha which i thought was a little crazy fartha mothma kind of close. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess they're from the same planet, so you're going to have probably some names that sound the same. Oh, and then, let me not forget, which is brand new, this is an all-new character, is Vel Sartha, which is the rebel leader of the heist team that I'm about to uh, introduce those characters. And she is... You see a little bit of her when she's talking... Well, not a little bit. She's in a good bit of the movie. But, I mean, she doesn't really do a whole lot. She's talking to Lothan Rill, and then she has to go back and talk to the team and kind of get them all together, because they kind of get a little suspicious and annoyed when she brings in this complete stranger and then one of them accidentally kind of says that he's getting paid so he's like a mercenary so then they get real annoyed at that and the team that is in all of this friction over this is Karis uh, Nimic which I'll probably just refer to him as Nimic because that's what they refer to him in the movie whenever she uh, introduces them and then we have Arvel Skeen and he is just mentioned as Skeen when she introduces him to uh, Andor and Terramin Barcona, 
I'm trying my best to pronounce them, but uh, <laughs> instead of the last name, which the last two was, this one, sh they picked the first name. So he's just called Terraman in the uh, show. And then we had Santa Kaz. She is really interesting to me because if they kept some of the legend stuff together, that last name, Kaz, is also the last name of a child that was born from a Jedi and a clone trooper who had a relationship just before Order 66. And she tried to get him out, but she died protecting the clone trooper and her son so they could both get out. And they wound up getting out and setting up camp on Mandalore and stuff like that. And his name was Kaz. So, hmm, that'd be something if it's a relation, but I don't... We don't know yet. Not sure. Yeah, I don't know much about her. I have to look into her, her background more. Let's see. That'd be a hell of a bomb to drop right there. Oh, yeah. And then, let's see. All right, we're going to get into the episode now. Before you start the As, episode, so oh, okay. you sorry, you mentioned one of these people is new. So the rest of these people we've seen in Legends books before, or the movie? Oh, no, no, no. These are, see, all of these are new. Uh, Mon Mothma is not, obviously. I'm pretty sure Perrin, I think I've seen that name, so that may have been her husband's name. It just threw me off in the movie because I didn't catch his name at first, and I thought maybe he was a butler. The other three ISB agents, I want to say I've heard the name Deidre before, but I don't think I don't think any of them were big characters in the Legends. I'm not sure. Yeah, they could be recycling be names or something. Yeah. Was the ISB in the Legends books, or is this like a new organization? Oh, yeah. They've... No, the ISB is that it's a big part of the Imperials. That's uh, yeah, that's been all through Legends. They're a okay. lot more active towards the end of uh, their little reign too, when they're trying to like struggle to get power from one another and all. But okay, they so. do, they do kind of wind up being a little bit, I think, of the cause of why the Empire was doomed to not last because they were constantly almost like causing infighting and backstabbing. Yeah, that is a problem. So the ISB is a part of the Empire. It's like one of their big enforcers. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as what uh, I'm about to describe it as. But what I what comes to mind to me when I think of the ISB is the SS. You know? Literally not, what I thought too, and I was like, that might yeah. be a mean comparison. Yeah, it's kind of a mean comparison because they're not. it's not quite that bad. But I mean, that's kind of the way they act. Like, they're, they're really stuck up, and if you're doing something wrong, they will find something wrong to put you away. I guess it is kind of that bad, because if they, they'll go after you just to put you in a spice mine on another planet where you'll, you'll die within five years of mining. Oof. Yeah, probably about as bad. <laughs> so, yeah, they're like the 007s, kind of, sort of. Yeah, and they'll do it not only to rebels and just citizens, like, they will do it to their own, hmm. just to climb the ladder. I can see what you mean about this course being a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right, now I'll let you start the episode. <laughs> okay, the episode starts as the rebel leader, Lothan Real, he's in his ship and they're flying to Aldahani. And Cassian doesn't know at this point, but he's still trying to recruit him because Cassian's just wanting to get dropped off. Lothan gives him two options. He's like, I can either drop you off or I can take you with me and you can uh, do something meaningful. And they have a whole little argument that he tried that it wound up with him fighting his own people which is a little easter egg thing that I have found. I thought from the first three that he might have been uh, like one reviewer had said that he may have been fighting on the side of the Separatists but then turned to the rebels and then started fighting them but from what it looks like with this when he was on, I think it was Membeen he was fighting the Separatists and the Republic came in and helped them beat them off but then the Republic Public winds up turning, you know, inevitably into the Empire, and then they come back and wind up causing them even more trouble. That's all. It's a whole whole thing, but that's kind of a little bit of background on Cassian. So he he winds up fighting the Separatists all his life, and then just fighting the Empire later on once the Republic changes to the Empire. So, I mean, at first, from the look of the movie, I thought maybe he was fight. They might have been fighting the Republic, but it doesn't quite look like that. It looks like it might have just been a thing where his mother was afraid of maybe a mistaken identity, or maybe she might have been working for the Separatists. I'm not 
sure where she was hurry up we gotta get out of here before they come and bomb this place or something or kill them that's mm. still a little bit foggy but you get a little bit closer to the idea of it and this oh, is still no. early on when the republic's still around and the empire's starting to like corrupt it and drive it down so they could take over yeah well i mean the whole time it's almost not even like it's being corrupted it's palpatine behind the scenes at least i'm not quite sure because I, ha I haven't read a whole lot of the newer stuff but from what i've, I've read on legends it's a lot of palpatine behind the scenes with secret bases and other little forces that no one else knows about and they're completely separate and cut off from the military and all and it's just things like that he's set up just like with the uh the jedi with the, the clone troopers that's one big thing right there that was count dooku and two other jedi were sent out on a mission and they wound up getting killed and dooku survives and he takes forget the other Jedi's name. He uses his name to go to Kamino and start up that clone army for Palpatine after he had turned and stuff. Star Wars is not easy to follow. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of background on them. You're at the beginning, basically, and I noticed you called Lothran a rebel leader, and we were referring to him as the spy master last time. So he's like a spy master who's working closely with the rebels now? Yes, he seems to be part of an inner circle, because as you move further on through it. He's in the ship and they're going to go meet the uh, uh, rebel leader Vel. They're going to meet her on Aldehine. After he tells him you know, you want to do something meaningful you should come with me. Don't throw your life away just fighting these bastards until you die which is what I know you'll do. And if that's what you're going to do, do it for a reason. You know? So then he finally gets him on board and he's going to go along with it. They land. He gets out, meets with her, tells him to stay there. And she is not happy about it. But pretty much he's standing there and he just keeps telling her and telling her and he's being all cool about it. But she keeps getting more and more mad till it's he's had enough. And he goes, but he's like, he's like, enough. You know, he kind of raises her voice at her and makes her stop. And it's like, you want to lead? This is what you have to do to lead. And tells her straight up, you take him or I shut you down. That's what I came here for. I was going to shut you down and I found him. So then she has no choice and she has to take him onto the team. And he tells her to just tell the crew that it was all part of the plan. He was part of the plan. They just couldn't get him there. And now they did. They had a stroke of luck. So she goes back and she goes to tell them all that and that's when they start getting a little bit suspicious. The one thing I don't like too much about this is the whole time Andor is doing all of it, he's not talking hardly at all. He's just standing in the background there's, absorbing everything? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. The one part he does have dialogue that's on a, uh, another little easter egg is when he's coming out of Lothan's ship and Lothan's just ahead of him coming out. Lothan stops and takes a necklace off and he's like examine it really hard and then turns to him and tells him here consider this a down payment and I want it back Andor goes you'll get it back if I make it back alive and Lothan just stares straight at him and goes I want it back <laughs> like no matter what I want it back <laughs> and then he and he kind of tells him why first what it's made of is blue kyber and then the bottom part is white sky stone and what it is, it's it's a charm that commemorates the uprising against the Rakatan invaders. And the Rakatan invaders, there's not a whole lot on them. It's probably in comic books and stuff, but from most of the legend books, you get some little glimpses of information from them, but they are a really old civilization before the Republic that took over the galaxy, pretty much. They didn't get all of it, obviously. Well, I mean, they got just about all of it, but they obviously got pushed back and taken out. So, Are they insinuating that Lutheran was like a part of that? Like the old race or the people who took it down? Or? Oh no, no. All of the Rakatans are gone. They're gone from the galaxy, I think, pretty much at this point. I think he's just a regular human. You find out, I believe it's after this, I'm gonna skip over some of the little there's little scenes in between this where you're going back and forth to the ISB building and the three officers are in there and they're giving their reports and stuff. The one little easter egg you get from that will say is at the end of that first meeting with them when they're all talking and giving their reports there's a guy that they don't say his name or at least i couldn't find his name he says that there's an increase in construction at scarif and just for me saying that if someone out there you might not know what scarif is i don't think so I like when i hear of, scarif I that think is Halo, from, so that is from rogue one and scarif is the planet where they they die that's that base that they wound up building 
And if there's an increase in stuff on Scarif being built, that means that's all dealing with the Death Star. Just adds up with this other stuff with that other planet with the mining disaster and all that. All of this has got to be, all of it's got to have a hand in the Death Star. So this is like the beginning of the end because that's the base they die in and they're building it now. Yeah, he just hints that there's increasing construction there. That's just where they cut the scene. It's literally almost like a little Easter egg, just a little glimpse for people that would know, I would guess, because it's literally the end of the scene. Most people would just be like, okay, increasing construction on Scarif. It's just an unnamed guy. He says one line out of the whole thing <laughs> and that's it. That's pretty much what it is. It's a, a Rogue One reference to the planet where he, he ultimately dies. Yeah, it might help increase tension maybe because they're like, wait, what? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad thing. And then there's there's another scene where uh this is back to all the honey where Cassian and Vettel are walking back to the team, they spot a TIE fighter. And so that comes in later where he gets a little antsy about the plan when they tell him they have to escape in an old junker, pretty much. And he's like, there's no way you can get away from the TIE fighter. But I'll get into how he does that later. I just wanted to make sure I got that little scene in there. But now that I covered most of that up to when they're all meeting for those guys, we're going to go back to where Lothan is in his ship. He's dropped off Cassian. He's now back in hyperspace and going to Coruscant. And this is where you meet the whole other side of the Spy Master. And you find out more about that. He's a key figure. He seems like one of the people in the circle. Because on the way down, he's putting on makeup. He's putting on a different fancy outfit. And smiling in the mirror and posing. Yeah, like he's getting ready to change his entire act, his character. Putting on his disguise. He Literally finally, putting on a face. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the next scene, there's a blue, I don't know if you could call it a land speeder, because it is enclosed, but it comes hovering up, <laughs> and it has Mon Mothma steps out of it, and they recognize her immediately. He has a, I guess you call it, attendant that's in the front of the shop, and she sees it right away, and just comments that it's got a new driver, and he just goes, mm -hmm. and she, Mon Mothma comes on in, and they just get to chatting back and forth about art and stuff, and that's when you find out that he owns a gallery that he called the the Temple of Infinite Patience. I believe it was he calls it. <laughs> of Coruscant. And she goes, you're just making fun. Just making little jobs back and forth to kind of lull them into sense of security because the driver that they don't know come to find out once he gets her into the back room and the attendant distracts him by going, you want to see some ancient coins and stuff and brings him over there. They sneak off and then low tones in the back room start talking about he needs money the resistance can't keep foraging for themselves forever and she tells him that it's getting really hard to move money around because everyone around her the faces keep changing it's like she went to the bank everyone's different it's like all of the people are different all her drivers are different people that meet her at the door is different everyone she's like she feels like she's under siege so then uh he finally relents and goes we can forage for a little longer but we can't do this too long and then she finally drops another bomb, which I'm gonna speculate on in a second. She tells him that she thinks she can find help in another person that she wants to bring into the circle. And that's when you, she mentions the circle, which he's a part of, I imagine, <laughs> because she's talking about it to him. And she doesn't say who it is, but she wants to bring this person in to the circle, the main guys. Now, if it's like Legends, the only other big main guy you hear about in this circle at about this point, I'm thinking, is Bell Organa. Leia Organa uh, adopted father. I believe Organa winds up showing up in some of these episodes later on, so that's what I'm thinking that's going to wind up being, is she's bringing in Bail Organa. Before get too far into it, so just for people like me who aren't like up to date with these characters, the madam that he's talking to, she's a part of the Republic, I'm guessing, and she's like trying to fund the rebellion. Mom Mothma. Yeah, Mom Mothma. I'm sorry. She is an imperial senator. Like okay. at this point, the whole Senate is the Senate's still there, but it's almost like a joke. They it's vote on stuff, but Palpatine's cronies get what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, they can either knock it down or he can just stop it outright. And not too long after 
after I believe she winds up leaving at least on Legends is when she does away with the Senate completely. But that's what she is. She's a senator and all of the spies are, <laughs> are constantly watching her and that's why she's so nervous. But yeah, she's trying to funnel money out of her accounts to send to the rebellion. Yeah, but it's getting harder for her to do that because they're watching her. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. I, was, I was confused at first because I thought she was like a rebel leader. But I'm like, wait, no, because she's being watched. So she must be like behind enemy lines. Big spoiler. Yeah, she funds it, but eventually she winds up coming out to be the rebel leader. If you haven't gone very far in the old books and all, she winds up being Mon Mothma, the rebel chancellor. She winds up being the leader of everything, like Palpatine. <laughs> I'll put like a warning in the beginning. I mean, but I think by now they know we're doing spoilers, guys. So if you've gotten <laughs> this far and you don't want to be spoiled, stop, go watch the episode and come back because we're going to be going through it beat by beat and talking about all the cool shit. So we don't want to spoil you if you don't want to be spoiled yet. <laughs> Just before this scene with him going to Coruscant and stuff, because after that they leave and he tells her while they're leaving out, kind of like in code, giving her a piece of art that she wanted for her husband or he's mm -hmm. offering to her for her husband. And he goes, I hope that you'll have the sense to turn back if you think it's too much for you. The art might be like their cover for this meeting. Like if anybody asks why they met up, be like, oh, she was buying this piece of art from me. Yeah, she he was wanting to get that for the celebration that they do on a Shandrilla. It's like a Shandrillan custom, she had told him. And that's what she was. She was just coming to get a piece of art. At first, he showed her a weapon, and she was like, I want something less, you know, killy or something like that. So they went into the back, and that's when he just picked something. He just grabbed something off when he was leaving that he was fooling with and gave that to her. But he was just saying that to her in code, just like, if you feel like it's too much for you, like bringing that other guy in, then I try trust you'll turn back and then she just like thanked him and took it and she left and while she left there was a nice scene where the car takes off and she just leans back like at first she's looking around like she's real nervous then she leans back and opens up the, the top of her coat a little bit like oh okay that's done no one came after me after the meeting and all it's like she was really nervous about being there I wanted to go back to believing he is at Ferrix. we go there twice in in this episode we go there once he goes and he is in the chief's office. So this is a funny scene. He is sitting behind their desk and he has he has a uh, Linus Mosk, the chief, which I don't know if they gave his name and I can't remember. I don't think they ever did because you referred to him as a chief and he was only in for like a scene where he was telling the dude to leave it and then he had to go. So I don't yeah, think they like shows up for this and that's it. <laughs> He's gone. Oh, and then uh Cyril Karn, the guy who wanted to get this murderer them three are lined up and he's sitting there like telling them just how bad this is and he's like you'll write up this report and you'll write up this isb report and then you'll send them in and stuff and he's like and you will not bother reading it and taking up the empire's time and all he's just like the chief he goes i i had nothing to do with this i wasn't there why am i you know and he's just like it's your ineptitude and the complete disregard you know for what's happening and stuff that led to all of this and then linus which is the funny part this guy he lifts his hand up like he wants to ask a question. <laughs> like he's in a classroom. <laughs> yeah, like he's in a classroom. <laughs> they are all lucky they're alive. And he's Teacher his man. hand up all nervous like. And Believer looks at him and is just like, really? Really? <laughs> Doesn't even answer him. It's just like, really? <laughs> yeah. And then he slowly puts his hand down. <laughs> And then goes over to Sorrel and tells him, you can be comforted that the one thing that you did right is, you know, that now the Empire is taking over here permanently and you'll no longer be needed. And so they gather their belongings and they leave. And the only, the only other scene I believe you see with him is, I'm not sure, I kept trying to pause to find out where he was because it's like he's in an airport or a, a train terminal almost like or something. You can hear locations and stuff, but I couldn't tell if one of them might have been Coruscant or if it was still in Ferrix, it's probably still in Ferrix, I imagine. Because he's going down these corridors and he's just sighing and he gets to an elevator and he's holding his box and he's just sighing in the elevator and then gets out, goes to a door. So I guess oh, he's been it. sacked because he has all his belongings. Yeah, he's, he's done. The corporate security on that planet is done. They've all been fired and sacked. It's now Imperial control. But he gets to the door and it opens and an old lady comes out and just slaps him in the face. Damn. And then hugs him. <laughs> So, and he goes, hello, mother. <laughs> so, a little bit more backstory on him. And he, that was the only thing he said, I believe, out of all of his scenes from when I was talking to him and everything. That's all he said. 
slapped and talked down to. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking that I don't know if he'll go to the Empire. I think he might. If he doesn't go to the Empire, he might wind up going Rebel. And we have this crazy scenario where he winds up meeting back up with Endor on Endor's side. Well, you never know. There's also the wild card where they could just have him join the Separatists, because they're still a thing. Oh, well, no, no, the Separatists are done at this point. Yeah. Okay, they're done at this point? Yeah, yeah. At this point, it's just the uh, Rebels and the uh, the Empire. But yeah, it would be a crazy twist if he winds up joining the Rebels. I mean, if not, it seems like he might do something to, uh, you know, make up for what happened. <laughs> yeah, he might try joining the Empire. Never know, since he's like... Maybe. Because this is the by-the-books guy who's from obviously the a desk jockey. Oh, that would be something if he if he wound up being like a double agent, join the Empire and feed information to the rebels just to get back at them for what they did to all his people. Maybe. I mean, they've pretty much taken over everyone where he worked, his whole livelihood. Boom. After that, we're back with Bleavin. After he does that, he sacks them and all. He gets into that little tussle that I had described earlier with the other officer, Ghidra. He gets into an argument with her over sharing information that he doesn't want to share because it's in his sector, not hers. But because of that drive Cassian had stolen, she thinks that gives her jurisdiction. Or it should. But then they go in front of their superior, and he just walks in the room and is like, give me the information. They say what's going on real quick, and then they say a little bit more back and forth, and then he's just like, you stay in your lane. He has six sectors. You have two. Worry about yours. You know, has him leave. And then he kind of even goes a little bit further to tell her, you know, this is why we brought in people like you. So you can, you know, be seen and not cause a tussle or something like that. Be behind the scenes and confident. And that ends that scene. After that, I don't believe we, no, we don't see believing again after that. That covers pretty much all of the ISB up to now. Everyone at this point, we're at the camp at Aldahani. Now, Aldahani, I'm gonna read a little bit of this little backstory I have on it. The uh, leader, Vel, says this at one point. It has the unfortunate quality of being close to nothing and not far away from everything. It's the perfect hub for distribution. Aldahani, it's a grassy planet with Alps, rolling hills, tall mountains, and rivers. Centuries prior to Imperial takeover, the hills were covered by hundreds. She says this at one point in the show that they were covered with settlements that housed at least 40,000 Aldahanis across the highlands. But the Empire comes in, and at first Cassian gets a little, uh, gets a little riled up, kind of, because he thinks that she means they were wiped out. But what she meant, and she says afterwards, describes further, is that they didn't wipe them out. They pushed them down south into less, I guess, you know, not as good of conditions in industrial zones and stuff, and had them work there. Oh, fine. Yeah. And they took over these tunnels and stuff they had found that were good for storing all of their supplies and all and blocked it off. But in order to block it off too, they had blocked off the river. And this river, they dammed off the river and they have a little little ruins, like barely anything. It almost looks like it might be a little fountain placeholder deal. It's not much of anything, but it used to be a great temple, she says. And the Aldahani used to come from all around the planet to gather there and this is part of the plan when they finally all get together and they're trying to figure out how they're going to escape after they steal which i don't think i mentioned that which that's going to be a little surprise here this whole heist that they're trying to do they're trying to steal the payroll from the imperial base for an entire sector and oh, it's a quarterly payroll so, i mean it's not even it's a short time they got to get it and get out and so what they're doing is where the temple is, all the Hanis would gather there to see the celestial event, and that's what they're going to use to escape when they do the heist. They're going to get in, get out, get this ship, fly up to it, I guess, as it's happening. And the way they this, uh, this little guy described it is it's like, uh, well, I'll do the older guy first. The older guy describes it as it's like 50 meteor showers all at once coming across the sky like a carpet or uh, a drape being pulled across the sky. And at one point, 
point, a hole opens up, and it's like the eye of all the honey, and that is what they gotta, I guess, shoot for to get through all of this. But there's a, a little guy, not skiing, Nimic. He almost seems like they're more of a scientific kind of guy. He, when the other dude describes it, he goes, actually what it is, it's like a bunch of little crystals that are moving around really fast, and they're like, I figured exactly how he described it, but it's real technical. <laughs> and it makes, he goes, it looks beautiful from the ground, he goes, but it's chaos in the sky. He has to fly them through that, and after Cassian hears that, because before that, he's like, it's a suicide mission. You'll, you'll never do it. And they just kept telling him, that's why we're here, because no one else will do it. And when they tell him about this little deal, he's finally just like, okay, when do we start? <laughs> <laughs> And now he's that, ready to go. He's ready to go. And then it goes to one of the other scenes with the other ones that I had described. And then it's back for the last scene. Cassian is at the campfire. Oh, oh wait. Shoot. I missed a very important part. Uh-oh. Oh. Before the planning, I don't know how I missed this because I, I was trying to remember it when believing I wanted to stick it in there and make it a little surprise, and I forgot about it. <laughs> but I get in there now. Believing, who is the ISB officer with six sectors, always has his reports in on time, is their best officer, pulls up to this rebel heist camp on a speeder bike, gets off, and is like, why hasn't I been told about this? Where is he? Talking about Cassian. Apparently, Levin is one of them. He has been feeding them information from the inside. Levin is a turncoat. I think that we're going to wind up finding out that the girl, Deidre, is going to wind up investigating him at some point and finding out what he's doing. If not finding out what he's doing, gets close. Because she comes from a cop investigative background, kind of, you know? And I think that's what's going to wind up happening. She's going to see that he's smoothing these things over because she's looking for rebel activity and she thinks she found it with the stealing of that box because she saw other situations that had was the same thing they were trying to go after the same stuff uh -huh. and she sees it as suspicious he doesn't he just wants to push it under the rug so i think he's gonna wind up doing that too many times he's just gonna catch on to him yeah he's getting too suspicious yeah he's gonna wind up getting too suspicious because he seems really confident like he has a line that's really good in there where she's wanting to get the information and he's like you should get your affairs in order before you start you know climbing the ladder kind of deal make sure or make sure it's strong and settled before you climb on the ladder and then when she goes to leave and says she's going to the superior he's just like make sure you don't look down or you'll fall something like that you know <laughs> it, it was funny but he shows up he is really annoyed that Cassian is there and is not happy but he winds up going along with it because the other ones at this point are going along with it they're just like it's happening we needed the extra hand he's here and we got him and, and one of them even goes as far as to tell him that we got an extra guy we got a coat in all form we're gonna need your gloves and your belt and Believe doesn't even say anything. I guess he's just, you know, like, okay, well, glove and belt, you got him. <laughs> and they go into a, the planning room, and that's when they do that whole planning and tell him, and he says that he is in, and he is going to do it. From there, he is at the campfire, and there's Tim Terraman sitting there with him, and he gives him a data pad that has a bunch of information scrolling across it. Just schematics for a ship, schematics for the building, Elder Honey phrases. He's just telling him all of this and scrolling through it, and he's like, here, you gotta learn all of that. And they gave him a bunch of other stuff. They're telling him, you gotta do this, and you gotta do that, and make sure, you know. And he's like, well, can I eat? And they all just, like, look at him. Like, you wanna live? You wanna get this done? <laughs> so he just, like, gulps and looks at the camera like well i'm really in this shit <laughs> yeah like i almost get the feeling that he's gonna wind up going into this okay it closes now from here is my opinion what i think might happen is that in this heist when they go to do this i get the feeling because lothan when he recruits him he tells him that he's good with a gun and everything and he knows what he's doing and he's got the smarts to get in and know to get out and everything but he also like in the situation with Mimbeam, he tells him that he fought on the ground and lothan tells him otherwise he's like no i know you were cooked down there and that you only got away because you ran and so he knows that when shit goes down, he's going to get out of there. He's going to find a way out. So I think the whole reason that he's got him on this team is that not only is he good with a gun, he's good with being able to get into situations, you know, obviously and disguise himself as an Imperial and all, but he can get out of that situation. Don't know if the other ones are going to get out. I'm thinking is that the rest of them might not make it, but he's going to get out. Because from what you see in Rogue One and all is that he has
has a lot of dark stuff in his past that he he wishes didn't happen or he didn't have to do. He tells them, I've done things that you'd never imagine for uh, the rebellion and no one will ever know. And I think this is going to be kind of like one of those things where he's got to do something horrible. It also sounds like Lothan is putting way more priority on him just getting it and getting out than this team because apparently he was going to disband this team anyway. So I guess they're just write-offs at this point, which is kind of messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. He was going to get rid of them, but he saw this one guy had the ability to get it done. And so that's where all his money is on that one guy. Because, I mean, he gave him that necklace that was so important to him. And he told him, you know, get it back to me. So all of these little cookies and stuff towards, like, I need you to get back here no matter what. You know, even if you have to leave them with their hand outstretched going, help me. Nope, you get that information and get the hell out. They're on their own. Yeah, I just realized, like, from that, obviously I haven't watched it, but from just, like, the context of what he's saying, it's like he's threatening him, too, because he's like, I want it back. And he made a point before this to just tell him all the stuff he knew about him. So clearly he's like, if you don't make it back, you're not the only one who's gonna, like, not make it back. Like, he's threatening that something bad could happen to, like, maybe his mom or his family or something. Yeah, I don't know if the rebels will go that far, but... I don't think they would, but I think that's the card he might be playing. Like, he's insinuating that better come back no matter what, or, you know, there'll be consequences other than you not making it back. Yeah, he makes that threat, but yeah, they kind of, like... Yeah, I'm not sure if he follows through on it, but he seems like he's... He's playing, like, 40 chess. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of, like, bluster thing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at this point, Cass doesn't know him well enough to know if he's bluffing or not. All he knows is that the guy knows what he's doing and got him out of Ferex. Yeah, because like, even at one point, when he's in the ship, when he gave him the two options, I didn't say he gave him one other option, but it was just like a little off-the-hand kind of thing. He's just like, of course, you could always kill me and take the ship. And he turns his back on Cassian and walks to the cockpit. Kind of like, you know, you could kill me and take the it. ship. I don't expect you to do that at all. So I'm turning my back on you and walking away. And that's another thing. There's like little things that uh throw Andor off in here. Like he also, I've realized that he's never left that system. So the two planets that I, I was talking about in the first three that I didn't know if maybe they were in the same system. I yeah. believe it was uh Meloron and Meloni. Yeah, they were very close in, in name. Yeah, they had to have been in the same system because apparently when he was on the ship with Lothan and they took off and he went to go into hyperspace, he'd never seen hyperspace before. Like when it started out, the ship does that little like thud and it's almost like a jerking motion forward, like if you slam your brakes or something, and then yeah. it goes into hyperspace. It threw him completely off. Like, he hit the side of the ship, and he's, like, holding on for dear life, and he's like, what was that? I've never seen that happen before. What, what is in this ship? <laughs> like, he's never been in the hyperspace, which I didn't realize. So, obviously, he's never left that system. Oh, one of the other little cookies, which I, I've forgotten about, which I don't know how, is throughout this whole thing, the only one that is calling him by his name is Lothan, at least in the beginning. But then after that, when he brings him to this team, he tells him to pick a name. And... Ah. You could not guess. Well, no, you might be able to guess whose name he wants up picking. Is, is it Han Solo? No. Damn it. Someone uh, close to him. Oh, is it the, is, the mentor's name? Oh, what was his name? His dad. Oh, No, Clem? his dad. Yeah, oh, Clem. Uh, he takes his dad's first name. So now he is Clem Andor. Oh, so he At keeps least, his last name. As far as they know. Yeah, he's keeping his dad's last name too. So he's almost pretty much having his dad. Well, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure they tell him the last name. Because, I mean, the only family he has with that last name is dead. Or I think the mom actually has a different name. I believe her last name was something else. For some reason. Don't take the last names. It's not the same. Is in real life, just Star Wars. Yeah, they have different cultures, so many yeah, different like with Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma and the other guy's name was Arthur, so... Mm-hmm. That also, like, mind. makes me wonder even more about this team, because is everybody on this team have aliases, or is it just him? Because if they um, work with him long enough, they're going to realize it's not his real name, because obviously his dad's dead and there has to be records of it if they get curious. I would imagine they would have nicknames, which seem like it's their names. I mean, you don't really know. It could very well be, you find out later, that some of them have changed their names 
Although Cinta Kaz, if she isn't connected to the kid that I was talking about, mm -hmm. then I'm pretty sure I heard Cinta, that name in another book or something or in another context somewhere else. So I'm pretty sure her character pops up somewhere else. I mean, it seemed like all the other heist people knew each other. So they might not be going off aliases, or if they are, they all know it's aliases or something, but just, I don't know, yeah. it's all so sus, and with him, like, coming in at the last minute, being the new guy and everything, it's like, ooh, this is gonna, like, throw everything off, because none of them are gonna end up trusting him during the heist, because he's new. They don't yeah. know him. Oh. He's, like, the wild card. Yeah, I could go a little deeper into this, now that we've gotten the uh, story out of the way. Now, with the team, their feelings for him, when you're looking at him, Tamarin, he seems suspicious, but he, towards the end, kind of goes along with it, but he still gives, like, the side eye to Skeen, the other kind of bigger guy. These two are the, like, the two bigger guys. They seem like they're the fighters of the group. They both keep, every time they, like, mention him or they look over towards him, the camera, like, goes to him looking through a tent flap. Mm -hmm. One or the other kind of gives the other one the side eye about this, you know, watch him. But the little guy, Nemec, kind of sciencey guy, he seems like he's okay with him because when they first start talking about him, he's like, I get the feeling he's on our side. I feel like he wants to help. They might like the nerdy, naive trope with him, though. Yeah. Where he's like very naive oh, yeah. trust everybody. So that's not yeah. super surprising of his character. Yeah, because when you first meet him, I didn't say this in a thing because I didn't want to get all of the little things out. But if people have lasted this long, you can have all the little stuff. <laughs> when we first meet him, he's like almost in like a shepherd's field, it seems like, because they do have goats, but it's all green grass and there's a rock and he's laying behind a rock asleep with his gun, obviously. Gun? <laughs> yeah, with his gun. He was supposed to be on watch, obviously, oh, you know, no. guarding. He was not. All of a sudden, in come from the side of the camera, a pistol barrel <laughs> gets pushed against his face and he jumps and it is Skeen. And he starts telling him everyone in the camp's got their throats slit. They're all dead. It's being burnt down. Da -da 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 -da. And then he's like, if you were on uh, Saul Guerrero's outfit or uh, this other guy, he's like, they'd shoot you or you know, kill you or something like that for this. You know, so he, he kind of scares him a little bit. That's when they see uh, them first come walking into the camp and or and Val, and he tells the, the kid, he's like, you don't need to uh, apologize to me, which she's gonna say to Val, because she's on her way. Yeah. But Cinta... Cinta, she's she's really quiet. She doesn't say a whole lot, but except for when she goes like fix his arm, she's like, uh, she isn't gonna use sedatives or something like this. And she's like, I apologize, it's gonna hurt in advance, and gives him the shot. She seems a little bit suspicious, but she doesn't say it outwardly to anyone. It seems like she's just taking it in stride. Yeah, she's just kind of like taking it in stride. But she also seems like the team medic, so she's she probably more of like, teams. okay, just someone else to help. Yeah, I just gotta medic, keep him alive. With how the rebels seem to work. Medic is probably very important because they probably lose people a lot, so she's probably been on, like, a bunch of different teams, so she's just used to people seeing people come and go. Yeah, seeing new faces. Oh, yeah, plus she's seen, you know, the casualties and stuff, yeah. so, yeah, she's probably been through a lot. Yeah, that woman's got the thousand-yard stare. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Talked about the Rebels. Did you have any comments on, like, the ISB people? Like... They sound like they're setting up, like they're being very dismissive of the female, and I don't know if it's because she's the female or if it's just because of her department. Well, I don't know if it's about the female. I think it might be because of where she came from. They kind of like looked down on the, uh, her prior profession, I guess you could put it. She was like a, uh, a detective, is what she would be, <laughs> but in Star Wars, she was, uh, I forget exactly how he had said it, but that's pretty much what she was. She was like a cop from the investigative bureau or something like that, he said, and he was like, we don't work that way here. Here we work on hard facts. When you have something concrete or permanent proof, bring it to me then. And that's when we do something about it, you know. So maybe she worked in a division that worked a lot more on like hunches and speculation. Yeah, and they, they were like, we don't work that way. <laughs> hell, they couldn't work that way with how backstabby they are. They all be dead. Yeah. <laughs> And there's one scene I want to, I don't know if I touched on it, but it was with, uh, oh no, I think I did. It was with Mon Mothma when she was coming home and he was setting the table. You mentioned yeah. that because you thought he was the butler and not the husband. Yeah, I mentioned it. I didn't mention the, the part towards the end of their little conversation where she had gotten angry because she looked at the guest list and seen the people that were on the guest list. And she was like, these people, these people hate me. They do everything they can to unwind what I do. And he's like, it was, yeah, but you know, you, you agree. 
agreed to it and all of this. And he's like, but at your leisure, you can change it kind of thing. And then she was like, no, no. And uh, they kind of like did a little bit of banter there. And she goes, don't sit me near them. And he's like, oh, no, you don't have to worry about that. You're over there. All the fun people are on this end of the table. And, and then she she gets a little peed. And she's just like, oh, really? For fun people? You realize these fun people cut off tree routes or something like that to the, the garn, I believe it is. And they're starving and stuff like this. Maybe we should have some of them over for dinner and see what they think about these people. And then it's just like, oh, come on. And she's like, no. No, if you're going to make me listen to something like this, then I'm going to talk about it. And then she grabs her coat and she's like, I can't believe you would do this. And she goes to walk out and he's like, I heard you got me a present. And she goes, yeah, and it's going back. And she walked out. <laughs> All scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I had a little tip. It shows her true compassionate side for all the species in the galaxy and how she really is the perfect one to be the chancellor for the Republic. That she gets so worked up over species that is not her own. I wonder if the husband is actually like in on her rebellion stuff or he knows but he's just not really in on it with her or something because it sounds like he's rather blase about it. I'm not sure. Yeah, when she had... stormed out that's when he said that line that i i said earlier where he's just like must everything be boring and sad mm-hmm. but yeah he seems like he's he might be clueless to the the rebellion within his midst either that or he doesn't know how deep it goes like he knows that she's like fighting for these people who are starving but he doesn't know that she's actually fighting yeah, for these people who are starving yeah, she's actually funding a rebellion to fight yeah <laughs> Like she's saying stuff publicly, so it's with her character, but she's also actually the rebellion. Yeah, because even like, I'm sure she does just like Leia Organa on the uh, book that eventually I will be doing a podcast on on here, Lost Stars. Hey, Davy, spoiler. Leia Organa does about what she does. You know, she acts the same way and everything. She winds up being a chancellor too. But she says in a speech just before she went to this ball in the book, and one of the characters in the book mentions that they can't believe she showed up after the speech she gave, in which she said that the Empire is not being as good to some citizens as they should be, kind of thing. Like, she badmouthed them, but not to the point to where it could be seen as treasonous, kind of thing. And then said that in response, they would send aid to those people planets to help them and so it was kind of a little light slap in the empire's face and uh she had showed up at that ball and she winds up dancing with one of them and said that <laughs> that's all i'll say on that because we'll leave that with the podcast on that one Girl, but that's a, little, balls. <laughs> yeah, that's a little glimpse into that and as far as the other leader in that picture she's new that's all i can say she's new i don't know what she's done before this Oh, one other thing about Mom Mothma, the lady that plays her, Genevieve O'Reilly. I hope I said that right. But she does the character really good. And I never knew this, but unfortunately, we didn't get to see. She had parts that were cut away from Revenge of the Sith. She had a bunch of scenes in there that winded up getting cut out just because, I guess, it didn't go well with the story. But she also was in other stuff like Rogue One, Rebels... It could have been time constraints, too, because I know a lot of movies, like, they'll release a director's cut afterwards that is longer because there's scenes they cut out to fit, like, the length they want the theatrical release. But, unfortunately, that means they have to cut scenes that are the least important, but doesn't mean they're not important. They're just the movie can do without. Yeah, the movie didn't really follow much of Mom Moth, but it would have been, the scenes she had would have been almost the only scene she had, and I believe it was supposed to be towards the end, I want to say, and at that point, they had too much going on between Skywalker and Obi-Wan and his wife, that's not supposed to be his wife, his so, wife. yeah, so those scenes just didn't make it, it as it important like to the a story. Nice little- it's probably like a little nice subplot to point to like her because yeah. she's obviously important. She's a rebel yeah. leader, but I guess they were like a oh, subplot in introducing her. We'll have to do it later. Yeah, what I would have thought it might have been is probably would have been something like, you know, she's in the Senate and it's almost like a glimpse of the Senate. Oh, Palpatine is now taking over. It's no longer the Republic. Like this is the turning point. On Revenge of the Sith because, you know, that's where the turning point does hit. Order 66 goes out. The Jedi are all being killed off by the clone troopers. Emperor Palpatine's grasping more power. And the Senate is losing a whole lot of power at that point. And so that's probably 
I would, I would imagine there were scenes with her kind of like commenting on that, like this is the Republic going dark or something, you know, along that lines. The light has been extinguished, but it will be back or something, I would hope. <laughs> something yeah, like some kind of say. vague yeah. insinuations. But yeah, no, so. we may have stumbled, but we will stand back up again, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, heck, it could have, the reason they cut it might have also been like, it was just to like introduce her yeah. character into the movie-verse, but they just ended up cutting it because they couldn't yeah. fit her in. Yeah, and in the legends, what I imagine some of these were done. She she wasn't that big of a character. I mean, she is the uh, chancellor and all, but in a lot of the books, she'll pop in just for a short time, and then then she's gone. She's mentioned a lot, but like physically, she doesn't hold a lot of scenes like that you would read. She does way later, but it's like parts where she's almost assassinated a couple of times, or Leia needs something done, and she goes to her, and that's it. Yeah, I. she sounds like she's more like like not to downplay her role or anything but she sounds like she's more of like a backer and a figurehead but she yeah. does less of the planning like she might give them information but she's more of like their big financial backer helping them out getting them places but she probably can't do much of the planning because she's got to hold her seat at the senate and have that front facing i'm not suspicious going on yeah that way that way she knows where you know the rebels go here do this do that kind of keep them away from the hot spots of where empire eyes gazing yeah and keep <laughs> up the front say. of like actually working through yeah, the red I'm an, I'm an imperial yeah I'm an outspoken imperial but I would never dare ally with the rebels no no no, no. <laughs> mm, rabble that is beneath me <laughs> yeah <Those are> words <laughs> That's, that's all I got. Yeah, so that's four. episode four and or. So overall, do you like where the story's going? I'm kind of, it's funny because I was like, oh, it sounds like it's going to be like an Ocean's Eleven. It is turned into a heist, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a little slow at first, which from uh, a couple of people that I've talked to that I've tried to get to watch it, they said they struggle on episode one and two a little bit. And it is a little bit of a struggle. One and two are kind of like this one. They got new characters and they're trying to give you their back backstory plus give you what's happening in the story so there's a lot of jumping around and going to this character and there's not a whole lot of action like there's there's no fighting in this one i don't believe yeah there's no fighting or anything like that there's a little bit of tiffs but that's it it's just a lot of information being thrown at you to get it set up to this next one will probably be like when you're going to get into the heist and i'm sure the heist part it might wind up being two episodes or at least more because it's going to be a lot to it it seems like there's a lot of exposition dump and i would say that having trouble with show don't tell but i do like the flashback aspect where it's not like they told you what happened in the past they did these little flashes yeah and showed you so it's a little more interesting they didn't just tell you hey he's from this planet this shit happens there is so much exposition they're trying to jam into this yeah it's like if, if you can struggle through these first episodes on somebody's just before they get to the action part it makes it more interesting for those who haven't seen it if they can get through that because you get a little bit more of that backstory like you're saying and stuff and you you know the characters a little bit it's still like some shows where you know you they no kind of just go on. right into the action yeah and you got characters that are there and you have no idea who they are it's like who is this guy and now why is this one and you might find out 10 episodes later oh that's uh Okay, that's who he is. Yeah, it's a really difficult balancing act because on one point you want new people to come in and if you want them to come in, you have to explain what's going on. But if you explain too much, the old people will get bored because they know what's going on and they just want you to get to the action. Yeah. And especially since they can't... Yeah, and they can't just be like, just check out the Legends books because technically they're rewriting the canon as they go because they're changing things, they're adding new characters. So even if you knew what was going on before, it might not be the same. So they have to like do this crazy like we have to give exposition but we want to tell this story and we don't want it to be confusing and it sounds like it's getting like a little confusing like especially with episode three with how often they cut between the scenes that yeah when they go fast and it's exciting it gets confusing but when they slow down it's like ah there's too much exposition yeah their action is just that this scene that scene this scene that scene and it's oh third one would have been a lot better not to knock them because it was still good i liked it but it would have been a lot better if they would have maybe did longer scenes where they went through the streets and connected some of those where they were making the noises and they're like oh, okay yeah they're making the noises and then they talked to the other team and stuff at the same time instead of back four back four it yeah. was chaotic <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the rule in D&D because uh, y'all won't know this and I'm exposing my true nerd I'm a DM I DM'd a couple times and one of the big rules they tell you is you don't want to split the party because 
because then you got people that are doing stuff and people that are sitting there not doing anything and then cutting the story back and forth. You're going to forget stuff from the other part. And then yeah. if you cut it too close together, if you do like small snips from each, people are going to get confused on who is doing what, who is where, what is happening. So yeah, and when with they cut, so many new characters, that makes it so much easier to get confused. <laughs> yeah, and with them cutting back and forth, it does make it seem actiony because you're cutting back and forth between like an action scene and a scene that might be slower and then going back to the action. But if you do it too much, you can, can get confused, especially when yeah. you're introducing so many new characters at the same time. So hopefully they like find a middle balance going forward because usually... The rule of thumb I've seen with a lot of people is you watch the first five episodes and then you judge the series. Yeah. So maybe by, like, yeah, the next they just episode. they kind of get settled in their style and wow. everything. And once they get all their characters, because by then, just like with the, the first three, we had one character that died off five or six in, we might actually start solidifying the main characters and maybe not so many new characters coming in. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that they don't start a thing where they're like, oh, we're going to just do this heist and then we'll do another heist with, like, different people or something. Yeah. I'm hoping it's more like they're going to be like, okay, Okay, this is the inciting action is him being uprooted and thrown into this. And now you're going to watch him struggle through this new world of being with yeah. the rebels for the rest of the series until the Maybe obvious Maybe a lone ending. operator or something. Yeah, because clearly him yeah, being thrown onto this. Happening. Yeah, because him being thrown onto the team is obviously foreshadowing him being on the team in round one. So I'm guessing we're going to see him develop as someone who works on teams because clearly he's going from lone operator, I'm more important, I have to get out to Rogue One. Yeah, However, well, well Rogue One, he's he's still kind of that way because at one point he almost winds up killing uh, I forget her name, uh, Ursa's her dad, uh -huh. the uh, scientist, because like they were going there, she wanted to recover him. That's what the mission was supposedly for. They were going in there to go get him out. Well, Lothan real, he pulls him on the side and tells him that no, forget what they told you in the briefing, which was with my Mothma and them. Uh -huh. Like forget what they told you in the briefing. Your mission is to go in there and take out the target, no matter what. He cannot. Not, you know, the information he has cannot be left with the Empire. Take him out. And so yeah. that's pretty much what he went in to do. He was he went there, took his rifle, and had it set to kill, and the robot saw it whenever he left the ship, and that's what he winds up telling uh, one of the uh, the guardians that was in the ship with him. He's like, I seen the gun. It wasn't set to stun. And they all looked at one another, and then they went to go find him. And luckily, when he was looking down the sights and he was going to do it, he decided not to, and then tried to play it off with them as he wasn't going to do it, but they obviously knew otherwise he was going to do it. I really need to sit down and watch Rogue One, and it kind of sounds like they're like he's gonna become Lothar's like right hand man, where he puts him on these teams. Is like he has like a separate mission or something. Like yeah, this team's going it, here, and they're doing this, but this is what you're actually you know, doing. You're the like, lone operator. It's like you're part of the team, but no, this is what I want you to do. Yeah, it's like these people are expendable. You're not. You do this. <laughs> I don't care if they make it out. They have a bullshit decoy objective. This is what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot that. This is one big glimpse into this. Is mm -hmm. one of the open scenes on Rogue One. I completely forgot about this. He is in the alleyway. Or no, he wasn't in the alleyway. It's a, Another guy is in the alleyway, and he's got his arm in a sling, and he's all nervous, walking around, looking down the alleyway, backing into by dumpsters and stuff. And then Cassian shows up, and he's like, do you got the information? And he's like, yeah, we gotta get out of here. We gotta get out. How are we gonna get out of here? And he finally gets the dude to give him the information. Information. When he gives him the information, he takes out his gun and while he had him up close, shoots him. And it's just like, well, you're out now, kind of thing. And leaves him there. Stormtroopers see him and then he runs up the pipe and gets away. But it wasn't like, you know, he doesn't kill the guy because, you know, I'm a horrible guy and I just want to kill you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of thing like he's a spy. They're both spies. And if I think they even said it at one point, he's got a broken arm. And the only way they could get out was for him to climb out and he couldn't climb. So he's like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do that. How are we going to get out? And that's why I wound up shooting. It's just like, you know, I'm the only one that can get out. I have to get out with this information. He's going to slow me down and wind up getting us both caught. So get the mission done. Shoot the one that's slow. Get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. And not so only it kind of gives you a glimpse into what Lothan trained him to do. Like, yeah. no matter what, you get out. And if that guy had gotten caught, he probably would have been tortured to death yeah. to get the information. So he kind of, yeah. it was a mercy kill, but it was still cold blooded as fuck. Because yeah. he got what he wanted to just kill the guy. Cold-blooded mercy kill for the good of the Republic. Yeah, it sounds like he's very much going for like a, I'm doing this for the greater good. The ends justify the means kind of thing. Yeah. And everyone yeah. else in the Republic is very much like, no, that's what the Empire does. Yeah. We're not doing that 
better than them. We save all the little people. And Lothan's like, yeah. that's not working. So this is what we're going to do. Well, see, that's the thing, too, is he, he doesn't tell them. And that's the crazy thing with uh yeah, he's working with Cassian towards the end done. when he winds up dying. Yeah, it's like most of them kind of know that they do this thing. But that's kind of like what the Secret Service is. It's like, you know, it's there and it's doing these things for you. But they also have to sometimes do some shady stuff to get things done to protect you. And that's kind of like what he's doing. And he's doing the shady stuff. And that's that's what Cassian explains to uh, the, the main chick on there. That's what he explains to her in the hangar. Is that, you know, he's got to do the dirty stuff that no one else will do. And no one else will hear about. So he's he's just expendable. He's like all of us, expendable. And so that's kind of like, you know, what leads up to the whole Scarif. Yeah. And then dying on Scarif. And it's true, too, because... You don't, we're seeing this stuff and everything, but like in the Star Wars lore, in that universe with those people, nobody knows about Cassian Andor. Nobody knows that he's the dude. That team helped get oh, the yeah. plans. The only mention they make no to knows. the people about it is Mini Bothans died to get this. Like that's. Well, see, that's the other thing too, is that I think may, that may have changed now. The, yeah, the Bothans. Well, thing. actually, I think the Bothans. Yeah, that the Bothans. Yeah, the Bothan thing is like for the plans, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, they changed some. Oh no, no, no! It was the actual heist. That's what it was. The whole Cassian and the Scarif thing—that was different in Legends. That's the part they changed. I'm thinking it was the Bothan, but it's that story was a little different. It was a Republic ship with a different team by a different name, and I think they were like Republic Commandos or something like that. And they went to this base and got the plans, and pretty much like it was almost like a 300 kind of like stand thing. They fought there to the death till they got the plans off the planet and that's how they wound up getting that <laughs> yeah and we don't know what the big story is but what i was i was meaning more is like cassian and them are like it's a story we know because we're reading the books we are an outsider in this we're like omnipotent we know everything that's going on but the people in that universe don't know about cassian and or and that team oh yeah in the future like after all this shit goes down they just know this happened they don't know the people who are working behind the scenes who did all this shit got their hands dirty he never existed you know yeah. like he's not doing it for the glory basically like he's not a jedi his name won't go down in history yeah it's pretty much like when he dies on scarif it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy when he first gets recruited by Lothan, he tells him you'll die fighting these bastards i know it and it's what he does he he hates them so much from when they first i guess killed that girl which had to have been someone important to them i don't know how maybe an older sister or something but they that's never mention it that's what i was thinking because you say he's looking for his sister and she goes down and he's separated from them so oh, well that's not the sister though oh that's not the sister yeah the one that winds up dying is some other girl that he like looks up to but his sister yeah they never you never find out what happens to her she was just there and he said goodbye to her when he left to go to the ship mm -hmm. but then you never see her again she's yeah. just i guess still at that camp she's still at that camp or that world got blown up and she's she died but i mean the first episode they mentioned he may have heard about her going through that brothel so she might she might be you she know like a hut slave or something she might be yeah. one of the girls that's going around the brothels or something like that or well she might be alive or he might be chasing ghosts yeah like he exactly. might have heard a story about a girl that the empire yeah. could have circulated to catch people that might have survived because they suspect oh, yeah. someone survived and he's so desperate that even though he knows they probably didn't make it he's still gonna chase those ghosts and try to find her but we so probably rambled on. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, so we probably rambled on long enough. So y'all gotta go check out Andor. Oh yeah, because it's gonna be getting good. The heist is coming. Yeah, the heist is coming. And that came out. That episode came out last week, right? We're a little behind. Yeah, because it's this, like the third of October right now. <laughs> so you got, it comes out Wednesday, I believe. Okay. Their episodes. So they're doing weekly or bi-weekly. Uh, I believe weekly. Oh. Yeah, they've been weekly so far. Yeah, so, and I'm going to try, because uh, this is the first time I think I mentioned it. I don't know if I mentioned it in the introductory episode we did last week. I'm going to try to do weekly episodes. Uh, I was going to try to release them on Wednesday, but obviously, like, I, I think I could still do it. Because even if you watch Andor on Wednesday and we record later in the week, I have episodes yeah. that are going to go up. Like, this week's going to be introductory. Next week will be this episode. If I can get it done. So it'll probably be Wednesday. So y'all have to keep an eye out. We'll be coming out yeah. with them. <laughs> Gotta get all the Easter eggs. Come on. Yeah. Collect all those Easter eggs. <laughs> Even though it's almost Halloween. Get your Halloween treats too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, follow if you enjoyed. Uh, if you want to check us out. 
playing video games and hanging out more, check out Dark Odin Gaming on YouTube. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys later. <laughs> later. <laughs>